Hi, this is Lee Purcell, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson, along with our guest Mark Cushman. Mark Cushman, author of These Are the Voyages, Gene Roddenberry and Star Trek in the 1970s, Volume 1, 1970-1975, available through our friends at Jacobs Brown mediagroup.com you can also find it amazon.com and wherever books are sold online mark cushman's website mark cushman m-a-r-c mark cushman.com before we went to break mark had just told us the story of how he helped clarify a misperception in the mind of mike farrell as a result of his research for the gene roddenberry book he was about to tell us the story of a similar revelation while he was working on his i spy book that had a profound effect on actor Robert Culp, as we pick up the conversation. First one of these books I did was on I Spy. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason I did that is I loved the show as a kid. But it was such an important show because it was the first one to put a white and a black actor together on television. It opened the door for that type of casting. The very next year, Star Trek comes on with the interracial crew. So those two shows, which were sister shows, which were shot right next to each other on Desi Lu, that was the one-two punch that really changed the face of TV, literally, as far as casting was concerned. Mm-hmm. Plus, it shot around the world. And I ran into Robert Culp, and, and I said, you know, I always wanted to know how you guys pulled it off. First of all, how you got that casting done without the network freaking out and stations being blown up. Uh, and secondly, how you shot around the world on a TV budget and with the technology that was available back then. And damn, I wish somebody would write a book on this. I really want to read it. And, and he said, well, why don't you? Which was the same thing Gene said to me when I was talking about, did you save all the memos from all the episodes? Man, I would love to read about the struggles and the... The, the passion behind every one of these episodes, what you guys were trying to do and so forth. Did you save them? And he says, yeah, here's 45 boxes of them. <laughs> and it's like, well, I'll try to find a way to put those in a book. It turned out to be three. Yeah. But back to, back to my point. So Bob Cope and Bill Cosby never knew the reason I Spy got canceled. It was on for three seasons, just like Star Trek, mm-hmm. on the same network, from the same studio, dealing with the same president of NBC, Mort Werner. And so the same fights Gene was having with Mort Werner Sheldon Leonard was having with Mort Werner on I Spy. And I Spy was a very popular show. And they were about to do their fourth season. Uh, Bob and Bill both got their shots so they could go overseas. They were going to go to Bangkok and then to uh, uh, Sweden and then to London. Scripts had been written. They were ready to go, and suddenly they get a phone call from Sheldon Leonard saying, we've been canceled. We're not going to go. A week before they were supposed to be on the airplanes, and why? 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 He said, well, the ratings have fallen. They moved us against Carol Burnett and were, were being killed, and they canceled us. And they believed that all those years. And then I'm doing the book, and I, it was an authorized book like all mine are, so I can have access to the show files. Mm-hmm. And I'm going through the, all the information. I find out it was not canceled. NBC actually offered Sheldon Leonard a two-year pickup. They wanted to do a fourth and fifth season. What show ever gets a pickup for two years at, at once? Yeah. The ratings had dropped a bit, opposite Carol Burnett, but they were still good, and the demographics were great, and the network wanted it to go, and Sheldon pulled the plug because he had been financing it. It was a privately owned show. He had too much money into it. He wanted to get it into syndication and recoup that money, and NBC had promised him, Mort Warner had promised him a second hour on the network, and they reneged on that, so he was angry, so he took the show away. Uh, but he wasn't going to tell Bill and yeah. Bob, yeah. I canceled our show, yeah. so he just said we've been canceled. Yeah. 
So I brought this information to them, and their reaction was just astounding. I mean, Bob Cope got depressed for about two weeks because he had realized he had been betrayed. He had been believing a lie for 40 years. And then after two weeks, I called him up, and he sounded great. And I said, you sound so much better. I mean, I'm, so, I'm sorry that I brought him news that made him feel depressed. Yeah. I said, you sound so much better. And he said, that's because now I know we went out on top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that goes back to one of the things that you seek to do with all of your books, Mark, is to try to elicit an emotional response from your readers and in this case, in the case of Robert Culp and Mike Farrell, it was a bonus. You elicited her most of response from the participants of your book, which adds yeah. to the book. And a lot of others, like Walter Koenig, yeah. who said, now I know what was going on in the other room, and things of that nature, you know, and, and Leonard Nimoy even, and I couldn't bring him that final revelation, but I brought him quite a few. So it's, that, it's an interesting experience. As as a as an author writing these books, researching this stuff, with these people that you look up to so much, and they inspired you in your career, and you bring them information that has such an impact on them, you know, you don't expect that. You, I mean, you're going to them so that they can tell you their story, and when it turns around that you're actually bringing them a piece of their story that they didn't know, it's it's a very interesting uh, situation to be in, and I always feel humbled by it. You know, because I, yeah, I found it, but I'm just, I'm just showing them what I found. It's, it's all there. The, the drama, and and everything else that goes into drama, uh, is already there. It's in the papers. And most biographers are lazy. They just don't do the research. I do, because it's, it's gold waiting to be found. Online with us is Mark Cushman. Mark Cushman, author of these are the voyages Gene Roddenberry and Star Trek in the 1970s, Volume One, 1970. 1975 available through our friends at jacobsbrownmediagroup.com you can also find it amazon.com and wherever books are sold online mark cushman's website mark cushman m-a-r-c markcushman.com we mentioned that nbc wanted to take a second chance at quester even after the first pilot aired and we, we alluded to this a little earlier that roddenberry had a similar experience with genesis 2 he actually had three shots at making Genesis 2 a series. Now, right. that has happened before in television. That happened quite a bit in the 60s and 70s. It doesn't happen as much today. Is that because, in your opinion, is that because networks no longer air pilots as they once do? And they no longer pay to make pilots that aren't going to air. Most, back then, pilot films weren't really meant to be aired. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and Star Trek's pilot wasn't. I mean, the first one, The Cage, was not until Gene figured out how to incorporate those scenes into another story mm -hmm. as flashbacks. And Where No Man Has Gone Before wasn't supposed to air, uh, but they were running late on delivery, so NBC put it on the air because they didn't have anything else to put on that week for the show. Uh, so usually the pilots would not even air. They just, the money was spent to develop the premise. And usually they would then recast or make changes to where the pilot wouldn't be relevant. And that even happened with Where No Man Has Gone Before. But again, they were, had no choice. They had to put it on the air. They had nothing else for that week. And, and it's good because it's a great, great show. Yeah. And when you think that the, the way it worked back then, they didn't expect to show it to us and we might have never seen it. That would have been terrible, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, but now they don't do that anymore. If they make a pilot, they're going to show it. 
they're going to show it as a movie, or they or they they really what the, what they do now is they commit to the series. Most series now are done like Net, Netflix and Amazon, mm -hmm. and they'll uh, like the Lost in Space series that Netflix is doing. Um, I knew Kevin Burns and John Jashney who are making the show because I'd interviewed them for the Lost in Space book I did. And uh, I, I did those because I wanted to see how the shows that were done before Star Trek got on and what doors Irwin opened that helped Star Trek get made. Anyway, they told me that uh, they took it to Netflix. Netflix said, let's do it. Uh, how many episodes do you need the first season to be to have a good story arc? And they said, ten. Okay, uh, what do you think the budget should be? And they told them, uh, six million per episode. Okay, go do it. You know, it's, it's not... It's not doing one episode, a pilot, and seeing if it sells. It's doing six or seven or ten or twelve yeah. and putting it out and seeing if it succeeds uh, and then doing another short season. And that's the way it's done now, so it's a whole different business. We have two email questions from David. David listening to us in Plant City, Florida, longtime listener to our program. Uh, David writes, please tell Mr. Cushman that I very much enjoyed his these are the Voyages books. I learned a lot not only about the original Star Trek series, but also about how TV dramas were shot and produced in general back in those days. For instance, David continues, for instance, I never realized that when the shooting of an episode was going to run over into the first half of the following day, that they would have the next episode's director there waiting and that upon returning from lunch, the cast would immediately start to shoot scenes for the following episode with the second director. Is that still how it's done today, Mark? Yes, but not as often, because they're not making as many episodes as they used to back then. You were making between 26 and 29 episodes a season. In the 50s, it was 39 episodes a season. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, you couldn't take half a day off. Yeah. I mean, it was a grind. Now, they're making, what? 10 episodes a year, yeah. or, or 19 if it's on CBS, NBC, or ABC. Uh, and so you got more time to do it. And uh, so if it's late in the day, no, you're not going to start the very next episode. But if it's early in the morning, if the one didn't finish and you got to just do a scene or two, sure, they'll, they'll start the next episode while they're there because you're paying the crew to be there. You want to get a full day's work out of them. Time is it's money. It's tough on the actors yeah. to kind of do that abrupt change from this story to the next story. Uh, but it was especially hard back in those days when you were doing 26 to 29 episodes a year, and you would have to, in the middle of the day, shift gears and go into the next episode. It still happens, but not as much, but it really happened back then. David has a second question for you, Mark. David writes, I especially enjoyed reading about what shows, movies, or specials were airing opposite of Star Trek during its original network run every week. Mark, do you have any memorable accounts that came up in your research regarding this uh, when you wrote the These Are the Voyages series? Well, I did, you know, because we licensed the, the ratings from A.C. Nielsen. That's the one thing that wasn't in the show files. There were only a couple uh, ratings reports in there, uh, like during Sweeps Weeks and, and the first episode, uh, because back then the ratings weren't shared with the producers and the stars of a TV show, because if you knew how many people were watching, you're going to ask for more money. Mm -hmm. And that's why actors get paid so much now, a million dollars per episode quite often, because they know how popular their show is. Back then, the networks tried to keep that confidential, and so the ratings reports were, were shared with the sponsors so they could get more money for the commercials. They weren't uh, routinely shown to the actors. They weren't routinely published. 
occasionally they might be, or part of a ratings report might be in Variety or Broadcasting Magazine, but not the full reports, not every week. So we licensed every ratings report from A.C. Nielsen, and it showed me not only what Star Trek pulled in that night, but what the competition did. And I put all this in the books. It cost my publisher thousands and thousands of dollars <laughs> to get them. You guys can get them for 30 bucks. Uh, you know, but, uh, but it shows you what was on opposite. So, for instance, the fun of knowing this information for me and I think for the fans is to see that the, the premiere episode of Star Trek had a, a 47% audience share. And right after we give you that information, you, you see the, the letter, the, the, the note that Lucille Ball sent to Gene Roddenberry saying, congratulations, Gene and, and, and everybody. Looks like we have a hit. Well, these things resonate so much more when you have the information. Yeah. You see what, what it is they're reacting to. Uh, the third season kicked off with Spock's Brain. Not the best episode. It was on at 10 p.m., the death slot. Yeah. Friday nights, the worst slot of the week. And yet the, that, it, it won its time slot against the two-hour premiere of Hawaii Five-0, which ran for 12 seasons. And Judd for the Defense on ABC, which had just won an Emmy as Best Dramatic Show the previous year. Star Trek was nominated in the same category. So it's, it's fun seeing what it's up against and seeing how what it's up against affects the, the ratings. Uh, Amok Time, the, the opener for season two, got killed. Now, it then became NBC's uh, top-rated Friday night show, but that first wonderful episode got killed because what was on opposite on the CBS Friday night movie? The television premiere of The Great Escape. Yeah. You know? And even people who love Star Trek, the young crowd that loves Star Trek, they, they want to see Steve McQueen jump over that fence. Absolutely. The motorcycle. So you, you can, you, it, all, it all comes to you. You're not only there to see the scripts written, there to see the thing filmed from the notes on the set, everything that's going on, but you're there in front of the TV the first time it's shown, and you know how many people were with you. I was surprised to find out that Gene Roddenberry's pilots in the 1970s got such good ratings and then, then were ordered a series. I didn't know any of this, and nobody else did. We just thought that he made the pilot, it didn't do very well, and that's it. No, the story is much richer when you have all this information. And all that information and more is available in These Are the Voyages, Gene Roddenberry and Star Trek in the 1970s, Volume 1, 1970-1975, the first in a two-volume set of books chronicling the career of Gene Roddenberry between the cancellation of the original Star Trek in 1969 and the release of Star Trek The Motion Picture in 1979. These are the voyages, Gene Roddenberry, Star Trek in the 1970s, Volume 1, available through JacobsBrownMediaGroup.com, Amazon.com, where books are sold online. Volume 2 is, if all goes well, Volume 2 will come out late summer of 2019. You mentioned Steve McQueen. Before we say goodbye, when we last talked to you, you were, <laughs> working, that, yes. you, you were working on a Steve McQueen bio. Can you tell us anything about this? What else are you I working on? I haven't been working on it. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what I did uh, several years ago is I did almost all the research. I mean, I have, I have uh, boxes and boxes full of articles and reviews of his movies and inside information and everything else on all that stuff, and a bunch of interviews I did, not with Steve, he had passed away, mm -hmm. but with other people. And I wanted to do this book because the only books that have ever, ever been written about Steve was, you know, Steve McQueen, Hollywood's Bad Boy, things like that. Mm -hmm. 
what people don't realize about him, he was a bad boy because he grew up a rough, rough life as a child. So he was a fighter. And he was a bad boy against the system. He didn't like the suits. But he loved the, the crews mm-hmm. and, and the day players. And he would go have lunch with the, uh, with the, the minor players you know, and the kids on the set of some of his movies. If there were kids, he would go sit with them. And they didn't know that he donated a lot of money to charities mm-hmm. and orphanages. When he was over doing the Sand Pebbles, he came across an orphanage over there. He sent the money. When he was doing The Hunter, his last movie, um, he was having lunch with the, the kids that were in this scene where he's chasing this guy through a, a playground or through the tenements. And, and there's a bunch of kids out there who have to jump when the firing goes on. So he's having lunch with them, and he's talking to this one young black girl, and he finds out that her mother's dying of cancer. She doesn't know her dad. So he just listens to her story, and days later, or right after the, the shooting ends, and he goes back to Hollywood, um, a check arrives, and it pays all the mother's hospital bills. She, she passed away anyway. It was terminal. But it pays all of her hospital bills and a scholarship for college has been set up in the daughter's name for her to go to college. And nobody never knew who did it. You know, he never took credit for this stuff. The other thing we don't know is that he took such a hand in the making of all of his movies. Mm -hmm. He got involved in the writing. He got involved in the directing, sometimes co-directed without credit. He he co-produced all of his movies, usually without credit. You just see solo productions up Mm -hmm. there, but you wouldn't see his name. Uh, So he was a real artist who was doing every aspect of that work and so i wanted to put a book out that showed you that side of steve mcqueen and i still want to put it out and as soon as i get caught up on all my deadlines and the star trek books that i'm I'm supposed to deliver and so forth that's one i'm dying to get back into so it's going to be a couple years away but i'll try to make it worth waiting for well in the meantime we will have you back on very very soon to talk about These are the Voyages, your three-volume series on Star Trek, the original series itself. In the meantime, markcushman.com. These are the Voyages, books.com on Twitter, jacobsbrownmediagroup.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. We'll have you back again very soon. I'll look forward to it. Thanks, Ed. We'll be back with more TV Confidential right after this. Got a product or service that you want our listeners to know about? Become an advertiser or underwriter of TV Confidential and let our brand help promote your brand. For more information, go to televisionconfidential.com forward slash advertise or visit the TV Confidential page at advertisecast.com. TV Confidential is now on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and other listening devices on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio the smarter way to listen to radio. Uber is the mobile app that connects you with a driver for immediate transportation. Request a ride at the tap of a button and you have a driver curbside in minutes. You can choose to be driven in a black car, SUV, or you can choose UberX, the low-cost Uber for a ride in a hybrid or mid-range car. Payment is seamless and cashless. Build to your card on file with no need to tip. Enter the promo code TV Confidential after you download the app to receive a free first ride up to $20. For more information, go to get.uber.com forward slash go forward slash TV Confidential. 
Ham Cam Caricatures will keep the fun rolling at your next party, convention, or event through a live video feed. As friends or colleagues gather around the webcam, I can see them on my screen, and they can view my caricatures come to life on their own screen. <laughs> a completed black and white drawing will then be emailed to you to print out. Pricing and details are at hamcamcaricatures.com. That's H-A-M-M-C-A-M-C-A-R-I-C-A-T-U-R-E-S dot com. Buying or selling a home can be one of the most stressful things we'll ever do in life. But it doesn't have to be. And no one knows better than our friends at Front Porch Realty Group. Their community of realtors serving the Northern Bay Area of California that cares about their clients as individuals first and foremost. Whether you're a first-time buyer or looking to lease or sell your property in the Bay Area, Front Porch Realty Group will help you through this important transition by providing you with the right information for your situation while lessening the pain. They also work with a network of realtors throughout California who provide the same high caliber of customer service. Call Front Porch Realty Group at 415-886-7411 for a realtor referral near you. You can also visit their website, frontporchrealtygroup.com, for more information on the services they provide, including upcoming workshops and seminars. For more information, call 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com. Front Porch Realty Group. They'll find the solution that works best for you. Alexa users, you can now listen to TV Confidential on your smart speaker just by saying, Alexa, Play TV Confidential. Enabling the TV Confidential Alexa skill is easy. To find out how to do it, go to televisionconfidential.com forward slash Alexa. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash TV Confidential, x.com forward slash TV Confidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.